Hello, welcome to the show. My name's Zuki Stewart from Playfield. And my name's Lucy Taylor from Make Work Play. Together, we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping the idea of work as play. Today, I'm with Tim Widowson, partner and facilitator at the Culture Experiment and the So Team. He's also a guest lecturer on design thinking, innovation and collaboration at Oxford University's Said Business School. As a behaviour change specialist, keynote speaker and trainer, Tim's core focus is on developing and exploring the creative behaviours needed for cultures and businesses to flourish. Tim has a unique talent for converting even the most hardened cynic to innovation and creativity activists, with experience that is both varied and deep, from tribal insights projects with the Maasai Mara tribes in Kenya, through to driving large-scale organisational change programmes within Abbott Pharmaceuticals. He says how we behave and work with each other is the difference between a mediocre, disparate group of people and a teeming, effective culture of fresh, collaborative thinkers. In this episode, we explore the power of micro-play moments, play as an irreverent force for good, and the importance of role modelling and the role of leaders in making play more systemic in how we work. Zuki, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Likewise. Now, Tim, let's kick off. What does the word play mean to you? Play means to me everything. Everything in business is, well, whether it happens to be actually personal or business, because I think it's paramount that we realise, recognise and engage with play because it's the way we get the most out of our own minds and the minds of others And that really, truly is the key to collaboration and cooperation and to then find new and exciting outcomes as a result. So if you think business and play are kind of inextricably interlinked like this, in your view, what do we misunderstand about play in the context of work? Play is seen as irreverent. It, you know, you, if you embrace play, what it actually does is allow people to relax, allow people to have that really all-important psychological safety, which therefore allows people to really, truly flourish. And without play, people find that they are unable to make those connections with each other, especially in this hybrid world, that really drives thinking forward. And there is a misconstrued thought that if you evoke play, it is childish, uh, which it's not. It's about being childlike for a small amount of time to help you make those all important new and different synapse connections in your brain to then make those creative leaps that then take you and others and conversations forward. And that means, you know, it could be how do I unlock a leader's mind? How do I unlock a colleague's mind? How do I unlock a patient or a donor? What is it that they need? How do I get them in the best possible place to be able to share what they truly feel and mean so we can capitalize on it and help those around us? So let's unpack that a bit then. How do you think play and work relate to one another? You've, you've touched upon it already, but we've We've been conditioned to think that they're kind of an oxymoron. You know, you work hard, you play hard. Never the twain shall meet. 
Um, so, so how do you think those two concepts relate to one another? I think they're one and the same. I think that if we stop seeing play as something which is separate, that you open up the magical box when you need to, let's say, have fresh and new initiatives in your business, I think then we're just seeing it in the wrong light. I think it's so critical that if people are signaling and communicating each other, with each other, then play in itself should be part of that DNA. So when we got on a call, Zuki, together, you asked me, hey, Tim, how are you? How was your holiday? What did you get up to? You were creating a human connection with me through play. You were playing with what makes me feel great. What kind of weekend did I have? And therefore evoking some of those feelings for this podcast. That's as simple as I see play. I see it as being something which is part of our vernacular, something which is every day, something which needs to be systemic throughout everything that we do, through every conversation that we have, through every action and interaction, not as something that is either displaced away from business or injected in when people think that they need to be creative. I, I couldn't agree more. In our work at Playful, we often see that um, play is in this kind of magic box, as you say, and you can kind of bring it out when you need it and put it away when, when you don't. Um, and, and we really are on that mission, as you say, to, to make play and work feel far more systemic so it's within the DNA of how an organization operates. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience working with clients with that idea of, hey, it's not just about a fun intervention, a fun half day, a fun workshop. It's about using this on an ongoing basis and weaving it into how you do things. How has that been received by clients? So uh, clients have responded exceptionally well because at one point in time, everyone was a child. So everyone can be creative. Everyone can make fresh and new connections with content and also with each other. And we've worked with a raft of people, whether it's working on a healthcare project to actually working in the world of FMCG, fast moving consumer goods. And at every stage of our work, we evoke, share, and imbue play, whether that happens to be attitude or whether it has to be something which is structured into the sessions that you run. So if you find yourself in a boardroom and you are making a pitch or you are sharing some content and you want it to land in people's conscious and subconscious mind, and so they can feel it as well as intellectually understand it, you need to be able to create and craft and inject something that will allow people to make fresh and new and different connections. And it might be as simple as saying, everyone in the boardroom, stand up and move seats with somebody else, because I know that you've been pitched to for the last four hours. And Ir in, irrespective of where people feel, no, I'm utterly comfortable where I'm at. If you want something to land and stick in people's hearts and minds, you need to control the situation. So there is a multitude of times where we take people by the, the short and curlies and ask 
actually move, create a little bit of action. And what that does, if it's just movement around the boardroom table, that's one thing. But you could be asking people to look outside the window and tell me the first thing that you see. It could be turn around to the person next to you and have a conversation with them about the weekend, exactly as you did. Because what that does, it creates what's called a divergent leap. And divergent thinking is about distracting your conscious mind so your subconscious mind can make a connection with it. And therefore, you can have better conversations, thoughts and ideas as a result. Divergent thinking scientifically has been proven to create up to 40 minutes of fresh and new creative thinking as a result of just looking outside the window and having a chat with someone or just simply taking three deep breaths. So we try and inject that into all of the projects that we run. And I know that you guys live and breathe this in yourself with yourselves. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing there, which I think is really interesting to explore, is there's actually quite a low barrier to entry to bringing more play into how we work. Sometimes I think that when we when we talk about bringing more play into work, there's a lot of intrigue and curiosity about that idea. And it, I think it really invokes something very human within all of us. As you've said, we were all children at one point. And um, it, it's hard to, to say, no, I wouldn't like more play in my life or in my work. So there's something innately quite attractive about bringing more play into our work. But I think often there can be this incorrect assumption that it could be quite difficult to know where to start, especially if you're in an industry or in an organization that might not uh, identify as particularly creative or particularly playful. You know, I worked in financial services in my, in my previous life and i don't think we'd have described ourselves as a group of playful or creative people. So they've come with this idea of, well, where do we even start? Because we're not playful or creative. But what you just talked about there are really quite sort of micro practices that can have a huge impact. So you've talked there about taking three deep breaths, looking out the window and saying what you see and standing up and moving around a table. So getting that real kind of physical movement, which I know from our work, it's just the, the energy shifts in the room when you get up and you move rather than just sitting in your seat. And these are very, what I would say, very small kind of low stakes, low barrier uh, practices that you can can bring into how you work in a, in, in a team rather than doing something, you know, complex or, or very kind of very nuanced when it comes to play. These are quite low stakes ways of bringing more play into how, our, how, how we work. Is that something that resonates with you? And, and do you, which other ways do you bring play into, into your work with organisations? Yeah, I feel that people, um, they're not done too. They need to be able to feel the um, positive experience by doing a small cascade of micro interventions, which allow people to build up the social proof within themselves and others that, oh, there is impact. There is positive change that happens when you actually inject these things into life. It's about, you know, helping everyone recognize that they are responsible for the special source in any organization, in any culture. And as a result, if they embrace those small micro interventions, they will make better decisions sooner together as a result. And so start small. There is obviously that a matter of whoever is injecting this into the session or sharing it with others, 
needs to go first. And I think that sometimes in business, that's a big mistake about telling people, this is what we want you to do and not doing it themselves. But it's also establishing the credibility of the science behind it and giving people that understanding before they actually act on your request of them. And that in itself allows people to go, okay, well, now it's substantiated. Let me give it a go, experience it. But then what's really important, just as much as the qualified actions and output that is created as a result, I believe what's equally as important is to say, hey, guys, how was that? What worked well for you just then? What could you do differently next time? moving forward and allow other people to own the learnings and to create small other thoughts of interactions and interventions moving forward. And what I heard there was the importance of role modelling, really, by leadership who are trying to bring in these more creative ways of working and they want to see the change in their organisations. There is a real requirement for them to you know, go first in kind of every way and really provide a role model to sort of provide the permission to their colleagues to engage with this. So could you tell us maybe some examples of where you've seen a leader that's maybe engaged you do a really good job of, of that role modeling? How the journey that they went on, you know, were they were they a, a raging play advocate when they engaged you or were they kind of up for exploring this, but maybe needing to be convinced? Yeah, absolutely. Zuki, let me share with you a story that um, really is outstanding in my mind. And it's slightly old and it could be fabled, but at the same time, I'm going to share it with you because it's stuck in my mind. When we talk about play, though, and this is just to give a caveat, when we talk about play, I think that play unlocks a multitude of other behaviours, such as curiosity, such as letting go of outcomes, such as nurturing other people's ideas. I think that it is the key to all of this. So with that as a caveat, there's this lovely story around Niall Fitzgerald. Now, Niall Fitzgerald was the CEO of Unilever, and he was a Unilever for 37 years. I mean, the global CEO of Unilever. I mean, you know, this guy had a lot going on. However, the story goes like this, that he was flying to Asia and he wanted to have his yearly marketing directors meeting. He brought everyone together and he found himself flying in to Kuala Lumpur to see all of these marketing directors. And he, en route, had asked his PA to organize three different household meetings to attend to before he got to the marketing directors meeting. And he stopped off and he went to go and speak to these humbled, humble household owners. And through his conversations and looking at their house and being curious and making them feel relaxed, where he asked the question, can you show me how you use our products and where you place them? He noticed one small aspect in all three houses. And it was the fact that everyone took Unilever's soap suds. And they decanted them out of their boxes and put them into plastic bags. Now, he then left these three houses and went directly into the city of Kuala Lumpur to then meet the marketing directors. 
And he said, I love the fact that you've all got all of your huge decks to share with me as to what you're going to be doing in Asia moving forward in your pipelines for the next two to three to four, five years. But before you share that with me, I want you to answer this one question. Why do people in Asia place and take our soap suds out of our boxes and put them in bags, which they tie up on the back of their laundry doors? Silence. And at that point in time, he said, I'll tell you what I did. I got off a plane on my en route here. I went to three different households and I went to go and speak to these households. And I had a cup of tea with each and every one of them and had a chat with them and then asked them to show me where and what they do with our products. They placed our soap suds in the back of the, uh, of the doors. And he said, this is the reason why. He said, because of the humidity in Asia, when we put our soap suds in cardboard boxes, the humidity makes the soap suds stick to the bottom of the boxes, therefore losing up to a third of our product due to the moisture in the rooms. And he turned around and he went, from here on in, I want you, all of you, to be sharing this story and talking to all of your teams across the whole of Asia about how important it is to have insatiable curiosity. This behavior stuck for years and years and years and years and years within Unilever. Insatiable curiosity, which was unlocked and used and, and brought to life by play. Play of, hi, how are you? Tell me about your life. Tell me about your children. Could you tell me about the products? Where is it that you use our products? That's interesting. And so that's, a, that's an example of where play can be tenacious and incorporated with curiosity. It then takes you to fresh and new and different places. And that's what I mean by play how you engage with others. Yes, there is the play of fun and high energy, but there is also play, which is about being human, relaxed, intuitive, personable, and curious to get you different places. I, I couldn't agree more in that we, we often, I think, jump to play as an activity when we talk about play in adulthood and in the workplace. We think about a group having a visibly playful time, which as you say, is high energy, looks very fun. Um, and there are all kinds of activities that can constitute play for us. And what 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 is a playful activity to you, Tim, would be different from what is a playful activity to me. So it means different things to different people. But I think we can often leap to this idea of play being, being an activity that we engage with, and it can. But what I'm really intrigued by, um, and which you've been kind of exploring there, is play more as a mindset and a way of being in the world, as you say, a way of interacting with people, a way of showing up. So it's less about the, the activities and more about the mindset and the being as opposed to the doing is what I'm hearing there. And this idea of showing up with curiosity, with trust, with openness, with that desire for human connection. I think that loads of industries are using play in a multitude of different ways. And I think you're right. It's about extrapolating the mindset and giving people a license to explore play. I mean, you could look to the Legos of this world. And yes, if you run a project, it, 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 it 
HQ for Lego, they've got a sandpit where they bring all of the board down and they go, right, we're trying to think about fresh and new and different ways of child's play, but let's us get more connected with what that means to them. So that's obviously a real structured piece of play that you can put in place. But then there is things like, you know, you look at Pixar and they embrace, uh, you know, the 70-20-10 rule. And I know lots and lots of people know about that rule, but 70% of your time you spend on your own project, 20% on other people's and 10% on something that is absolutely not related to your own particular project, which allows you to make those fresh and new and different connections and the creative leaps. But as a result, they take that 10% and they implore everyone to go and sit at somebody else's desk in some other part of the business that they don't know. And so, yes, they're making new connections. Yes, they're seeing new teams. Yes, they're kind of, you know, listening into other new, different perspectives, but also they're being stimulated by somebody else's environment. What are the small little creatures that they have? What is the pot plant that they have? What is it that, that you know, that inspires them? And that's also structured play. It's being able to allow yourself and, you know, to do things differently, not be a slave to your own environment, but break shackles and look elsewhere to do things differently. And I think once you've created license and permission in a business and organization to do that and you communicate it, not something that just sits on a poster in an elevator, but actually you communicate it by leadership teams living and breathing it and other people within the organization pushing the understanding as to what that actually could look like for the benefit of others. That's when it starts becoming really interesting for me. And you see when people have that license, you look at Southwest Airlines, and uh, you know you can go onto YouTube and you can see the fabulous ways that Southwest Airlines try and embed and inject humanity into everything that they do. They call it a warrior spirit, and they've given people permission to be able to talk a flight passengers through uh, the safety procedures by wrapping it to them to keep them interested. <laughs> on a plane how many people either ignore the flight attendant or head down or they got head but if you've got someone who's bringing it to life by wrapping it and being kind of tongue-in-cheek about it that's making you go oh i'm on a different flight i've just <laughs> now i'm excited but i'm loving the brand and if you want your brand to to sing in people's hearts and minds the people who live and breathe the brand need to be given that license to be playful where required. Hi, I just wanted to pop in and give a little plug to another podcast that we really love. Have you ever wondered about the inspiration behind board games like Outburst or Taboo? Or maybe you just really like hearing interesting stories? Then totally check out Good People, Cool Things. Hosted by Joey Held, author, podcaster, and guy with a pretty soothing voice, Good People, Cool Things interviews business owners, authors, musicians, and other creatives. Joey and his guests talk about their careers, their worst moments, they offer advice, and so much more. And as a fun bonus, I am delighted to say that every episode ends with a corny joke, because we could all make a few more people groan in life. Listen and follow at goodpeoplecoolthings.com 
or wherever you're listening to this podcast. There is something creative in all of us. And again, again, back to my point earlier about certain domains or industries deeming themselves or being deemed by others as playful or not or creative or not. We do that as individuals as well. And and I was guilty of this, of of thinking, well, I'm I'm not I'm not that creative. You know, I'm good at some things, but creativity is not one of those, or I'm not playful. And, and actually, with my own journey with play, I am very playful, but in different ways. And I think it's dormant in a lot of us, and it's not invited out. And as you say, the license isn't there, the permission isn't there, the invitation's not there. And so we we kind of miss out on that beautiful kernel within all of us. And I love that, uh, that idea of giving the people the license or almost awakening them to what's already within them and saying, we want this, you know, we're inviting it out of you. And, and another thing you mentioned there, which I really wanted to, to highlight that resonates with me is this idea of the safety briefing being done through rap. So what's, what's fascinating about that is that it was still the outcome they were trying to achieve. They wanted to communicate the safety information to the passengers in that flight. And they could either do that in a very standard way that we would all expect, or they could do that in a very playful, different, human, enjoyable, engaging way. But the by taking that latter route, that playful path, they still achieved the, the, the objective they wanted to. In fact, I would argue they probably achieved it to a far greater extent than doing it the other way. But, but what I really want to p- pull out with this point is this idea I, I think organizations have of, well, play is great, but, but it's just for the sort of for breaks, right? When you're not doing work, you can play then. Have a break from work and do some play. And this idea that we're trying to, to really communicate is, no, you can do the work. You can still reach the goals, the objectives you're trying to reach, but you can take a playful path to doing it. So you're still doing the work and therefore play is woven into it as opposed to being the break that you take from it. I couldn't agree more, Zuki. I also believe that there is this aspect around, you know, play is for everyone, as you just shared. And that is the introvert, omnivert, and the extrovert. It, 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 it's for everyone. And it, it, what's super important when people engage in play is to understand that their own way and energy of play is paramount. Because some people feel when they engage with play that they need to be somebody else. Some people feel that they need to, let's say, absorb and then share somebody else's energy around play. And that's where the mistake lies. What's really important is that people say, we're all different. Thank the Lord. And as a result, I can inject in a certain situation my own flavor of play. There's nothing worse than somebody sharing somebody else's definition or way of being of play because then the whole authenticity around it has suddenly been exploded and then it just dissipates. And therefore the impact that you have is not there. You lose all credibility and therefore it works in a counteractive way. What's important is that people say, okay, for me, it may just be I like to intellectually stimulate people. Here's a bunch of postcards. Pick which one works for you and share with me why you pick the card about, let's say, the journey that we've been on this year. That's a really simple mode of play. It doesn't take 
high energy. It doesn't take you getting people up, moving around. But actually, your choice was to use something a bit different and you use pictures and you use ways to engage and create hyperlinks for people of their past. It's critical that people know that play what's and to understand what's their understanding, wish and want, and therefore their delivery of play that is congruent to how they are in their lives. I think that's a really important point that, that you've brought up. Again, with the narrative that we tell ourselves around who is playful, who is not, that's uh, integrated with this idea of play looking like something specific. As you say, that kind of high energy, playing the joker, playing the prankster, and some thinking, oh, I need to be like that to, to, to be seen as being playful. And exactly as you say, play is intensely kind of individual to all of us. It's like our own fingerprint in that your way of play will be different from my way of play. And we need to kind of democratize that understanding. And really, I think, often actually have a conversation about what what play actually means to this group of people before we even go in and try and bring some more play to these people. First figure out, well, what does play even mean to them? As you say, rather than assuming what play means to them or assuming that it is, you know, it is one thing that they're all going to resonate with equally. And it's it's intensely different for each one of us. Um, so I love that you brought that up. And it, it, it makes me wonder, what do you see as the conditions for play to work in an organization. So we've already mentioned a few things. We've mentioned about understanding that the play doesn't look and feel like one thing. It's going to be different for different people and making space to really unpack that for people. So everyone connects with their own way of play. So that, that that's one, one condition. We've also talked about the importance of role modeling with leaders and really kind of the impact that has on giving kind of permission and license to, to other colleagues. What else do you think needs to be in place for play to kind of land with a team or with an organization and for it not to just fall flat? So first of all, I do believe it is about small interventions and experiments that people try out, because that's a way in which you're going to start understanding what's fit for purpose for us in our environment with our business mission of how we help either customers or consumers or simply just by making the world a better place. I would say that there's five key levers to ensuring that play lives and breathes within an organization. And they're these. You've already touched upon attitude and the mindset people have. And it has to come from everyone in the organization. There's that lovely story, um, I think it was from 1964, when JFK was walking around NASA and there was a guy who was sweeping, mopping the floors and JFK went over to him and uh, the, the, the cleaner turned around and said, hello, Mr. President. And he said, hello, I'm Jack. And then the president turned around to him and he said, uh, so who are you? And I can't remember the gentleman's name. But he said, what is it that you do? And he said, Mr. President, I'm helping put man on the moon. And so he knew his purpose. The person from the very bottom of an organization is as important as the person at the top. But it needs to live and breathe. And it is an attitude and it is a mindset. My second thing would be that there is obviously this behaviors piece. 
play can, as I mentioned with Niall Fitzgerald, play can be broken down into curiosity, letting go of outcomes. And I think that the behaviours aspect is really key and important. And people start understanding and recognising that it is as quintessentially important in our new world of living and being in hybrid world to embrace those behaviours even more so. But then the other three for me are, there are skills. You know what? Yes, we used to be all children and it is a childlike way, but it is about helping people understand what that can look like in them and within their teams and within their organizations to be collaborative. My fourth lever, I would say, is about the structures you put in place. So what are the small experiments? What are those things that you can try out? Molson calls call this the rewind effect. And I love it because you try one thing and then you press pause and you rewind and you said, okay, what worked well? What could we do differently? And if, and if everything worked really well, press play, carry on. But every three times you try it, you go back. So I love that. I think as a principle, but what are the small structures that you're going to put into place? The small experiments. And then the last one is the environment. And I think the, the giving people an understanding as to, yes, whether they're at home, whether they're at work, whether they're on the train, car, traveling, wherever makes them feel most comfortable. It is about helping people understand that, one, that's really important, yes. But also what's really important is helping people understand how important it is to get away from your normal environment, to be collaborating with people when required, to be making sure that hybrid isn't, let's say, you just sitting at home doing all your work through your laptop, but saying, great, I'm going to need to go into the organization or into the business because I'm part of the culture. I'm part of the way in which people are living and breathing, and I'm going to bring my experiences to them and vice versa. And I think shaking your environment up, changing it, being aware that, you know, it, it, it all is going to be stimulating to your mind. It's all going to create those divergent leaps. It's all going to be about those connections that you have with others for yours and others' psychological safety. And it is embracing that. But it's going to be different for everyone. People have moved forward now with the way in which they work on a hybrid world. But how can we give exposés of our own life and share that with others in a tenacious human way that is not forced, that allows people to feel the connection of others, but also allows people to see what else is going on out there in the world. And then what can I steal with glee to then inject back into my own life to do things even better and make better decisions sooner together? And you've touched upon that the fact that we are all navigating uh, the new normal, as we like to say. And I know with your work with the with the culture experiment, you're very much of the view that there are no right answers. There's no one way of doing things um, as we as we navigate these different times. Can you give me an example of when a client has engaged the culture experiment and what they're trying to achieve when they're doing that? I know you work to to help them generate practical experiments to help um, those teams become more energized, agile, and resilient. But I, I would love to understand what's often been the catalyst to, to an organization engaging you and what they're trying to achieve. So there has to be, let's say, a small sense of connecting people that have and creating those bonds of commonality. And it could be as simple as this. 
It could be saying, okay, we've got 90 marketing directors on dialing in from everywhere in the world on different time zones. Some people are just desperately trying to feed the kids and get them to bed. Where some people, it's four o'clock in the morning and they've had to set their alarm clock to be involved in the session. But doing something as, as simple as going, we're all here together, but what we would like you to do before we start anything off is to have a rummage around your house and go and find the one thing that is the most out-of-date food item you can find. And bring it back to camera. And suddenly everyone stands up and they run off and they come back within 60 seconds. And you've got 70, 80 people showing to screen their item. Now, it's not the item that they're wanting to show. It's going, I've got voice in the room. I've shared something of my environment. I'm sharing a part of myself. I'm prepared to look for items that I can share with others and be interested in others. And it's over and above what you're actually asking them to do. It, 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 all of the connections cascade from something small as an intervention. So when we've been working with people, let's say like Coca-Cola, they've gone, this is, you know, they are so full wholeheartedly saying, great. Let's be prepared to, yes, live in our comfort zones, but now and then step out of our comfort zone to have fresh, new and different perspectives, to bring those perspectives back to our comfort zone to then create fresh and new and different outcomes moving forward. It's not about taking people into panic zones. It's not about making people feel foolish. It's not about making people feel alone on their own or criticized or placed, um, you know, to say, come stand at the front of the class. It's not about that. It's about collectively, cohesively embracing something that allows you to make those connections from wherever you are on the planet to then be able to drive something positive forward as a result. Thank you so much for sharing. As you know, we're keen to share ideas for where someone, if we have a listener thinking, I love this, we don't really use play in my organization right now, but I want to bring more of it in. Where can I start? And you've been sprinkling our discussion today with some lovely playful practices that, that you've used and you've heard others using, but are there any other practices or easy to try techniques micro behaviors that, that you use and you've seen have great impact that our listeners could try themselves. Absolutely. So Zuki, I'll give you three. And obviously there is a plethora of others, but this is just to dip one's toe into this world. First one is the most simple practice about taking three deep breaths. Taking three deep breaths can allow you to step away from the issue, allow your conscious busy brain to cool down so you can connect with your subconscious brain and allow your brain to take on board something fresh or something new. So simple, but can be really powerful. My second one is if you've been sitting down, as we all find ourselves doing over this, you know, screens, you've been sitting down for 20, 30 minutes. It's long enough to step away get some fresh air 
by opening the window if you're in an apartment block or if you're lucky enough to have a garden, step outside into your garden. Don't underestimate the power of just looking, engaging and stepping away from your desk. We used to all do it when we were in offices and, you know, there were the water cooler moments. There was the coffee. There was the go in the elevator. There was whatever it might be. But because we're now so many of us are working from home, we don't give ourselves time to do it or we're not embedding it in our working practices. But it's as equally as important as making a call. So I would say if you are back to back with calls, make them 55 minutes rather than 60. Have that five minutes of your time to step away, open a window, look outside. And my third small practice would be don't underestimate the power of pictures. Being able to go, I need to have some fresh, new and different thinking. I'm going to pick up a magazine unrelated to the world that I live in and have a look through Horse and Hound. <laughs> Not that anyone has one of those. Tractors Weekly or <laughs> Airlines for the Future. doesn't matter. But it's allowing your brain just to separate itself just for a moment from the work that you're doing. And as a result, you'll make better creative leaps. You'll be more energized. And also it allows you to notice your day going past the moments of our life going past. And then we're actually more in control of them. Thank you so much, Tim. It's been fantastic talking to you. I'll speak to you again soon. Suki, thank you so much indeed and take care and all the best. So how was your conversation with Tim, Suki? Um, I loved the distinction he kicked off with between childish and childlike, which I think is a really important distinction. Often play evokes this idea of, of children and it being important for children. Um, but this idea of kind of your childish if you're play, whereas the idea of play being invoking all these ideas of of being trusting, looking at things with fresh eyes, seeing the wonder in the yeah. everyday, and that being much more about qualities of being childlike rather than childish. I really like that too, and that sense of wonder. It was really beautiful. I loved what he said about the irreverence of play, because I think when you describe it like that, it's this disruptive quality that kind of breaks us out of the norm and out of our maybe unhelpful habits and there's a bit of mischief involved in that idea which I think is really helpful in some cases. I love that word irreverent which can be seen as kind of inherently disrespectful to the situation at hand which is often seen as negative but to your point maybe that sort of disrespect that disruption to the status quo is is exactly what play can offer so I agree I love that that word of irreverent. I, I really liked his point around we tend to see play at the moment as something that we can sort of inject in when we need some fresh thinking. And I, I was left pondering, thinking, are we ever really going to reap its magic benefits until we do start to widen how we view it and to start feeling comfortable with making it much more systemic in how we are showing up day to day rather than taking it down from its lovely box and projecting it in when it's helpful to us. I feel like we're never really going to get it if <laughs> we continue to see it in that way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So it's not just about um, creative moments. It's about lots of different moments across lots of different points in an organisational journey or in your work journey. I thought his championing of micro-interventions was really important. So like just getting up and changing seats or 
looking out of the window and seeing what you could see because you know it's so easy to do we can all build that in to our day at any moment you're so right about how um kind of movement came up again and i think embodiment and movement keeps coming up in these conversations yeah and this idea that just changing seats around the table can create sort of those divergent leaps of thinking or just getting up out of your seat and as you say going over to the window and it and then we reflect on just how sedentary our lives have, have become and how it's become normal to sit down all day in front of a screen and the kind of negative impact that has on our health. And we sort of just normalised that level of just sitting down, just like we've normalised that play is a nice to have rather than it being integral to kind of happy, healthy, functioning human lives as adults and in our work. And it was, I loved his point that we only need to take a small step, only need to get up out of your seat to feel that shift within ourselves and within our own energy yeah, well, that idea of unlocking people, I loved. Like, you know, how do we unlock these parts of ourselves that don't show up at work and we feel maybe we've forgotten about them or we feel we need to keep them hidden because they're not, you know, the sort of bits that you share at work and actually play being a vehicle for sharing different parts of ourselves, I thought was a really expansive thought, actually. Yeah, plays role in empathy and building bridges to other people when you need to form a connection to someone as you say unlock them I love play being that vehicle and I loved his point around the importance of kind of building in baking in time for reflection so in the group asking how was that what worked for you what would you do differently next time and it's so easy to kind of if you're running out of time to kind of forget that bit, you know, that's not the important bit, but actually that's the most valuable part of any playful or novel experience when you do carve out that time and space to reflect together as to kind of what landed and what didn't and why. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting the language he used there because he mentioned this like pressing the rewind button and there's something just like fun about that, you know, let's rewind, um, let's start again, let's see what was good and like, like how can we replay it differently? I thought that was a nice phrase. What else came up for you? I think, you know, some of the examples he used, so Southwest Airlines, that sense of giving people license to kind of be who they are and show themselves in their glory and, you know, wrap the safety instructions I thought was fantastic. And how brilliant that those people in that culture feel able to do those things and the the courage that's required from leaders in order to enable that sort of culture. I'm glad you brought that up because... The- I've been really sitting with that and kind of this idea of power and permission in play. And, you know, if you do have kind of leaders who are up for role modelling and it's those words, giving people licence. And in a way, I, that feels really exciting. Like what can happen when, when you give people licence or give people permission? Then I was also curious about the underside of that, like in terms of who gets to play or who is allowed to play. And with this requirement on leaders to give license and to enter role model it puts a lot of stock on that kind of individual leader's appetite to engage in this it puts a real dependency on those individuals you know licenses to be given is, is what i'm noticing with that and what happens when license isn't given so there's just kind of an underside of kind of who gets to play who's allowed to play can you take license or must you be given it and how do we take it if we're not being given it and just the last thing um that struck me was his point around authenticity in how we play so which is something very very close to my heart that we don't need to subscribe to one idea of what playfulness looks like and we don't have to subscribe to other people's ideas of play or or mold ourselves in any way that ways of play and how play feels and looks to all of us is 
very unique, like our own fingerprints. And it's really important to be authentic about, well, this might not look like play to you, but it's, it's me at play. Our play fingerprints, that's so nice. So that was actually our last episode in series one. Thank you so much for listening. We would be really grateful if you could rate and review the podcast or share with a friend. We're really busy working on series two and are excited to share more conversations with a new roster of brilliant guests at the start of next year. So watch this space. And in the meantime, stay playful. <laughs>